0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the NMA podcast. I'm your temporary host of the day, Jack Gilbert, Chief Reporter at NMA. As our regular compare, Ollie Smith is away at an event. And I am delighted to be joined in the studio today by our guest, Romy Savova, Founder and Chief Executive of Pension Startup, Pension B. Romy, thanks very much for coming in.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's our pleasure. And today we're going to be talking all things pension provider transfer times as well as pensions generally, of course. But first, in Ollie's absence, as is tradition, I have to run Romy through our weekly quiz. Ah! (laughs) So, which is going to be on a subject familiar to yourself, Romy, of course, which is pensions. So, question number one, in which year was the state pension introduced in the UK?
1: Oh, this isn't a fair question. Um, (laughs) I really need to think about that one. Well, it would have been in the 1900s. Correct. Um, maybe 1965? Okay,
0: quite a lot earlier than this. So the quite first, a lot earlier. The first state pension was introduced in the 1908 Old 1908. Age Pensions wow. Act, and it came into effect the 1st of January, 1909, and it gave individuals over the age of 70 five shillings a week.
1: Five shillings a week. I'm not sure that counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm not sure how much money, how many pounds that would be today. But yeah, it sounds sounds like a lot of money, kind of. Also, 70 is quite an old age for, for, for the pension. It
1: is an old age, yes. Yeah,
0: particularly in 1908. 1908, okay. wow. Question number two, this, this might be a little bit more tricky. So in twi- More trickier twi- than when,
1: twi- when does the state <laughs> pension start?
0: <laughs> in 2016, one Premier League football club was among those who responded to George Osborne's consultation on pensions tax relief reform. Which football club was that?
1: This is a football question. It's this isn't a, a pensions question. It, it was, it was the, <laughs> among the
0: respondents to the, the pensions tax relief consultation.
1: Oh, a football. Okay, look, so I don't watch too much football. Okay. Um, but Premier League, you say? Premier
0: League, current Premier League. Current
1: Premier League. I mean, I can think of a few. So was it Chelsea?
0: It was Everton. 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 And Everton called for no changes to pension tax relief and said, we do not believe that individuals could be either supported or encouraged to save towards their future pension needs if their contributions did not attract tax relief at the point the contributions are paid.
1: It sounds like a very smart submission.
0: Yeah. And we were quite impressed Everton. Absolutely. To, the time to, to, to respond to the consultation to that. So that was an interesting one. OK, this, this one you may get a bit more recent. So uh, earlier this year, a royal contingent went on strike over changes to their defined benefit pensions. Which royal which royal group am I talking about here? The Air Force? No. No. So think kind of uh royalty, the the Tower of London, very traditional English uh, Very group traditional of people. English
1: group of people. Hmm.
0: Connection to the crown jewels?
1: The Royal Guard?
0: So yeah, well the, the beef eaters. The beef eaters, right. They went on strike over their pensions, um, are these um,
1: quiz results going to be published? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So I mean, I, unfortunately, this is I, I maybe maybe a little notoriously. Ollie Ollie Smith makes quizzes very difficult. I got yeah. two questions right last week. Did you? So you two know. is
1: pretty impressive. If, if they <laughs> were those kinds of history slash football slash crown jewel mixed. I had to
0: I had to kind of continue the the level of difficulty that Ollie set down. Um, but moving swiftly on from the quiz.
1: Well, I feel much richer in my general knowledge, <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs>
0: my pleasure. But moving on, um, today we're going to chat um, firstly about pension transfer times. And this is in light of some news that came out this week from Origo, who published the transfer times of 27 providers for the first time. So Romy, this is something you've been kind of oh, very close to for a while now. Do you want to talk to me a bit about how we got to this point where these transfer times were published for the first time?
1: Yes, well... ORAGO as an institution has existed for around 10 years Um, and in that period of time it's been helping to reduce pension transfers um, from I believe they were 55 or 60 days on average all the way down to the statistics that were published yesterday. Um, And so for that period of time all of this data has actually existed within the ORAGO systems. Um, Increasingly, consumers have become much more interested in their pensions as a result of auto-enrollment, as a result of pension freedoms. And so there's been an increasing demand to give consumers a level of transparency around how long it would take them to switch provider. I mean, if you compare this to the current account Switching process, for example, there is a definitive guarantee of seven days and nothing like that has really existed in pensions until now. When we came into the market in 2016, um, we quickly found that there was a huge disparity in transfer times and it tended to very much be driven by whether someone was using electronic transfers or not using electronic transfers. And so within the Origo community, it is fairly common for the average transfer to complete itself within 10 days. However, outside of the Origo community, it's not unheard of to have transfers of 180 days 180 days with some firms averaging well over 50 days averaging Right, so, so this creates quite a lot of uncertainty from a consumer standpoint. And increasingly, the Financial Conduct Authority and various other regulators and legislators have become interested in switching processes around pensions. So in 2012, I believe it was, there, there was a cross-industry working group established called the Transfers and Re-Registrations Industry Group. Yeah to seek to try and harmonize transfer standards across pensions and across various other financial products. Um, And so there's been quite a few different work streams that have led to the publication of yesterday's data. Um, The Trig Group ultimately published its conclusions last year um, and it did recognize that an end-to-end transfer timeline would be absolutely critical uh, for consumers. Um, And so the ORIGO work that had been going on was somewhat influenced by that working group Mm. but had developed a little independently. Um, And so the ORIGO group itself was working for about two years um on this proposal to publish on a voluntary basis the data that already existed within the community and it's really been designed to highlight that a lot of companies are doing a really good job when it comes to transfers Um, and it's an open invitation for others who are not on the list to one adopt electronic transfers and two make their times public
0: yeah because on the list, we've got 27 providers here, but these are providers who've just volunteered to, to show their data. That's right. and, and so, we, yeah, we have a range of, of times coming through, I suppose, as well. Um, the average um, transfer time from uh, NFU Mutual was the quickest at five days, um, but there were some slower ones on the list. The so Hargreaves lands down were the slowest at 29 days. Um, I mean, looking at the, the times, uh, I mean, were you surprised by what you saw? I
1: think the times very much align to the data that we have internally. Yeah. Um, and once annually, we publish our transfer times too mm-hmm. um, in something called the Robin Hood Index. And the data that we see in the Origo publication very much mirrors our transfer times too. So I wasn't too surprised. Um, I do think it's worth noting that the people who have published are really the good of the good. Um, because you know if someone's not on the list, you do have to wonder why they're not on the list. So there's the group of pension companies who do electronic transfers but have not decided to publish. So the Oregon community overall consists of about a hundred members yeah. Um, and so this is the very first step in the publication process, and we're quite hopeful that the remaining members will voluntarily join this group too. Um, However, I do think the critical missing point is those companies who are not members of Orego and who have not adopted electronic transfers. So they're
0: still using paper transfers? They're still
1: using paper transfers. They're still requesting things like original birth certificates, Um, yes and 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 those are really where consumers experience delays and where advisors will experience delays too um, I mean in some of our data we found that where you know where these administrators request such onerous documentation the consumer give up rate is around 60 percent mm.
0: so I mean yeah looking at the transit Times obviously in itself it sounds like a fairly kind of vanilla administrative um, area to, to look at, but do you think there is a, is a wider story here in terms of, do you think there's a, an underlying reason why some providers have not signed up to Arigo and are still using kind of paper-based transfers?
1: I think the reasons that have been cited are increasingly becoming discredited. So I think what, one of the reasons that has been cited is that it's, it's more costly um, but actually when the department of work and pensions looked at how much it cost to do a manual transfer i think the figures cited were around 100 pounds um, or something of that sort mm-hmm. and so you know if you if you compare 100 pounds um, to uh you know the average orgo cost it's much cheaper on a per transfer basis um so it you can't say that it's because it's too expensive right um the other reasons that have been cited are around um defined contribution trust based arrangements simply being too complicated um but again if you look at the list of companies that have published what you'll see is the big master trusts on there so you'll see nest yeah um you'll see the people's pension yeah um and of course if those companies can do it why wouldn't, you know, why wouldn't someone else in a trust-based arrangement also be able to do it? So I think those reasons are becoming increasingly discredited. And I think the only two remaining possibilities are, one, they just don't care, um, which would really be quite appalling. Um, Or two, there is a commercial incentive to hold on to the pension assets for as long as possible. Because if your average transfer is over 50 days, that means that a customer could, you know, on average, be with you for an extra 30 days. And when we look at the billions of pounds of pensions that are being switched, that can add up quite a lot in terms of fees. Mm.
0: And in terms of what this means for financial advisors, so the fact the data has been published the first time, do you think we're going to see transfer times come down further? Do you think we're going to see kind of a sea change in terms of how long advisors are having to wait? before they're getting their clients from one pension provider to another pension provider?
1: I think this is really significant for advisors because first and foremost, they now have an incredibly reliable data set on how long it will take for them to complete a transfer from any provider who has published their data. They can then use that to effectively communicate with their customers and manage their customers' expectations. And ultimately, I think they may well choose who to do business with based on the names on this list um, and so if you're an advisor i would be paying a lot of attention and of course there is still disparity in those transfer times so you know they do range from five days to 29 days yeah um, and i think that there is scope for improvement if you if you look at the australian transfer times uh, there is a pension switch guarantee of three days in place so even our best of the best does not Come close to the international kind of benchmark that we mm-hmm. have out there. So I think there is scope to improve um, the times. Um, I think that the very very first place to start is to go through each and every process around transferring out. Yeah. And try to figure out where you know where the delays are really caused. Yeah.
0: Because I suppose, be yourselves, you you averaged eleven point two days. So yeah. Is that a number you're looking to push down? Or are you going to be working? Yeah,
1: we'd like to. Um. The reason why we are at 11.2 days is our investment cycle. Um, So we work with three of the largest money managers in the world, um, and when we trade with BlackRock and State Street and Legal in general, it takes a while for the monies to actually be disinvested and for the monies to be sent to us. In order for us to improve our transfer out times, we would need to effectively use um, I guess use a float of cash in order to drive that down further. Yeah, um, and that is definitely something we're looking
0: at doing. And that's what some providers do that they have a float Absolutely. of cash. Absolutely,
1: yes. It would be very hard to achieve five days uh-huh. um, if you were waiting because we all yeah. sort of use similar asset managers. It would be very hard to do that without yeah. you know without using a float.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and from a consumer consumer perspective, obviously we've got autumn enrollments come in for kind of seven years now. Um, and we we do have this proliferation of small parts, people moving between jobs, having small parts of, of pensions, um, which I suppose is is a, is a bit of a problem for for the government and for the regulator. Do you think that this kind of this <laughs> a new world of, of quick transfer times between providers might see a, a move towards people being more engaged with their pensions? You know, taking more action about moving between pension providers, consolidating pension pots. Do you think we're going to see more of that come in because of this?
1: Yes, I think that this this is going to drive a greater level of consumer awareness around what is possible. Yeah. So I still attend events and speak to consumers who didn't know that it's possible for them to move their pensions. Yeah. Um, and so having the data around how long it takes to move something in a comparable way to how long it takes to move a current account... Um, is of course going to drive interest in that sort of thing. I think as a country, we're very much still, you know, transitioning into the acceptance that pensions are our money and we can do with them what we like. Subject to tax rules, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the look on your face. Um, subject to tax rules. and But I think that that is a healthy place for us to get to because the ultimate goal is that people will have enough to retire off.
0: Yeah, of. and I suppose it kind of feeds into the narrative about the dashboard, the pension dashboard, whenever that comes in, you know, if, yes. we, if we get that. Yes, in well, that. I,
1: I think it would be a nightmare to get the pensions dashboard and for people to be able to see their money and when they try to move it, to be asked to submit an original birth certificate.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, it would cause quite a lot of consternation, I imagine. Um, no really interesting stuff for right? I me. Mean, and I suppose this isn't just the only issue you've been campaigning on recently, though. There are other things in pen- the pensions world which you've, been, uh, which you've been campaigning about. And one of those is exit, exit fees. Yes. And I suppose it's kind of connected to pension transfers. Um, but recently, the FCA, um, in its consultation, or following its final report on the platform market study, it released a consultation on exit fees um, and you kind of came out and said you weren't happy with, with what what the FCA did here. Do you want to maybe talk a bit about sure. this? Sure,
1: yeah. I mean, on reading the consultation, it felt like the FCA was taking a fairly narrow view of what an exit fee is. Um, and I suppose a good starting point would be around the definition of an exit fee. Um, so at Pension B, before we transfer any pensions, we do scan them to see whether a customer would have to bear an exit fee should they transfer. Um, and the way that we define it is the difference between a customer's fund value and their transfer value, um, because that is the financial cost of moving that pension. Um, And so we maintained data on on all of our pension transfers and on any exit fees that would be incurred. Um, And when the FCA consultation came out, um, we ran an analysis um, on, you know, I think it was over 16,000 pensions um, in order to determine, you know, what the prevalence of exit fees was um and what type of exit fees they were um and actually you know the good news is that the prevalence is you know is fairly small it's less than 5% which i think is a good thing for consumers however where exit fees exist they can be quite large and so when we dug into the types of exit fees that existed there was quite a broad range of these Um, and so you know you start off with the very very simple ones Um, for example when you are leaving your platform um, and there is a 50 pound exit fee um, that is just applied across the board um, down to sort of exit fees that are embedded within contracts that had been signed 20 or 30 years ago um, down to deferred advice fees mm-hmm. um, depending on which you know company you're talking about. Um, and then you know in, in our world we, we definitely do consider market value reductions on with profits to place a financial barrier to exit. Um, and so when, when we looked at when we looked at our data set, um, you know w- we found that those simplistic exit fees accounted for a minority of the exit fees that consumers actually have to bear mm-hmm. if they choose to switch. Um, and so, you know, on reading the consultation, the FCA made a very bizarre distinction between service-based exit fees and product-based exit fees. A distinction that I'm sure no consumer would ever make, uh, and you know, and and said it was very focused on service-related <clears throat> exit fees.
0: Yeah, so it said they, that the, uh, the FCA were not at this stage going to ban product-related exit fees, which are sometimes levied by vertically integrated firms.
1: That's right. However, um, I think that there has been a substantial amount of coverage, um, including from New Model Advisor, that has called out the pitfalls of segmenting exit fees in such a way Mm -hmm. because from a customer standpoint an exit fee is an exit fee regardless of where in the value chain it's been inserted by the financial company
0: Mm. yeah and i mean i think the fca were a bit they were a bit ambiguous with this because they also said in that consultation the scope of a ban on exit fees should include all charges related to exit from the service, regardless of their description. This would ins- ensure such a ban cannot be circumvented by applying an exit fee under a different description. And we, we spoke to the FCA, we spoke to um, um, Sheldon Mills, who's the director of competition, after the report came out, and we obviously asked him about this. And he, he effectively said that they would look at these charges on a case-by-case basis. So he said that Very we, interesting. we will mm-hmm. need to distinguish between the type of exit, type of fees that are in the product and the service to see whether or not some types of activity charges could be characterised as exit fees. So there's kind of a bit of ambiguity, ambiguity here from the FCA. Yes,
1: I think they are still defining their position. However, I think that from a consumer standpoint, if we as an industry were able to say that exit fees have been eliminated, that would send an incredibly positive message that people can restore some of that trust that they have you know, frankly, lost in the pensions yeah. industry.
0: And I suppose it is a kind of a barrier to switching in a way because people yes. fear the exit they, fee. They
1: fear the exit fee, even though it only occurs in a small number of cases.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think looking at the direction of travel though here, I mean, do you think... The F, what the FCA is doing, you know, what Orego is doing. Do you think we're kind of moving to a world where transfer times are coming down, and, and also the exit fees are just absolutely. on the way out? Do you think we? Abs- gonna-
1: I, I absolutely believe that the world is only moving in one direction, in in this world of transparency and social media, um, and everybody having access to all sorts of information. I think that consumer unfairness ultimately is going to start disappearing. Transfer times and exit fees are two very clear things within the pension sector. But, you know, um, I think without getting over those barriers, it's going to be hard to tackle other things.
0: Yeah. And I think, is there anything you can see kind of next on the horizon? Obviously, after exit fees and transfer times, do you think we might see further reductions in in the charge cap? Or where do you think we might see see movement next?
1: Well, there's a couple of things that I hope to see. I think... You know, I'm pretty hopeful that there will be escalation in contribution rates for auto enrollment because, you know, we're just a little over halfway of where we need to be. We went up to 8% last weekend or the weekend before last. Yeah. And, you know, rule of thumb suggests that 15% would be a good number to aim for. Um, So, you know, we're a little over halfway of where we need to be. So I'm, I'm hoping to see changes there um in terms of the charge cap um i would like to see that coming down however new consultations around having investment diversity within default funds so yes um, yes and and specifically you know the cost of products yeah. you know that are long term infrastructure assets for example makes it hard for me to believe that the government can achieve both of those objectives at the same time um, however, that is, that is something to watch. Um, I mean, we've obviously been very critical of um, of fees within auto-enrollment products that erode pensions to zero. Um, you know, we don't believe that a consumer, having been auto-enrolled into a product by their employer should five years later come to find that there is absolutely nothing in their pension when clearly the money left their paychecks um, and they forwent consumption. Um, We just don't think that would be a fair outcome at all. Um, And so we, you know, when it comes to the charge cap, we're hoping to see a revision in the permissible models um, that pension companies would be able to adopt. could go on for a while. On the list. <laughs> but that, that would require
0: legislation, though, <laughs> wouldn't it? Not?
1: It would. It would require legislation. But I do believe that there is a review um, of the auto-enrollment charging structures and levels that is coming up um, over the next few years.
0: Okay. Interesting. Well. So, so
1: it is. It is sort of on the map, um, and 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 yeah. I, th- I think I think it's scandalous if pensions can go to zero yeah. without the consumer even realizing it. Yeah.
0: But in terms of the general direction of travel for consumers in terms of this kind of the new auto enrollment world, we're moving in the direction, right direction. you think?
1: I, I do think so. I do think so. I think that you know there are there's more, right? Like we're definitely moving in the right direction, but there does feel to be a lot to tackle. Um, so you know, from our standpoint, what we want to see is general simplification, right? So th- there's no other industry. Um, that consumers engage with that is so complicated. No. in terms of you know transfer time variability, in terms of charging structures, um, in terms of product comparability, and increasingly now in terms of you know tax, um, it, it's as if the rules are designed to trip people up. And that is what's causing broad-based disengagement. If people had the confidence to engage with pensions and to shop for pensions, if you will, in the same way that they go about their other business, then I think that we as a country would benefit in the form of higher savings rates.
0: Mm. And I I think on that fairly positive note, Romy, Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to draw things to a close. But thank you so much for coming in to the studios.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you very much for listening.
1: I'm sorry I failed your quiz. <laughs> we'll have to get you back in really for a, a,
0: re, a, re, um, a retest at some point. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And be sure to tune in next week when our regular host, Ollie Smith, will return. Um, thank you very much, everyone. And goodbye.